Welcome back to the Youth Bible in One Year, day 266. Today we're asking the question, what difference does Jesus make? And maybe you've been asked this question by your friends or family that maybe aren't Christians, and they're asking the question, well, why are you a Christian? What difference does Jesus make in your life? And when we realize what difference Jesus makes, and in today's Bible passages, we see the answer that the difference that Jesus makes is massive and it's impossible to fully comprehend. I've interviewed hundreds of people around the world who've come to faith in Jesus. The question I ask over and over again is, what difference has Jesus made? And the genuine answers given by the people I have quoted are typical. My life has completely changed. I now look at the world through different eyes. I feel love for everyone and inner peace that I never imagined could exist. I've been living my life in a dark hole. I was carrying a great weight on my shoulders. That burden has gone, and I'm filled with great hope, joy, excitement, and love. And all I want to do is serve Christ in whatever form he chooses. I feel like I've found love and conquered death in one day. The difference Jesus makes is massive, eternal, and impossible to fully comprehend. From Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. Permanent forgiveness. Jesus made forgiveness possible through his one perfect sacrifice for our sins. He was uniquely qualified to do so as the King of Kings and Great High Priest. Jesus clearly saw this royal psalm of David as referring to himself. It's one of the most frequently quoted in the New Testament. Two lines of Old Testament prophecy come together in this psalm. First, King of Kings. Although it is about a human king, it points forward to a divine king who will be king over all kings. Second, great high priest. The writer of Hebrews quotes this psalm as referring to Jesus as the one who is the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Neither Melchizedek nor Jesus were Levites, but both were priests, not on the basis of their ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Whereas the Old Testament priests were temporary, Jesus' priesthood is permanent. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. You're the permanent priest, King Jesus. Thank you that you made the one perfect sacrifice for my sins so that I can be forgiven and my life can be utterly transformed. New Testament from Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ 
even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember, at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Peace and Reconciliation Peace is a word that sums up all the blessings Jesus brings to our lives. Christ came and preached the possibility of peace to everyone. Jesus is seated after his resurrection at the right hand of God, as prophesied in the psalm for today. Being seated implies rest and peace. You died with Christ, were buried with him, and have been raised with him and are now seated with him in the heavenly realms. You can enjoy his peace and rest as you go about your daily life. Paul describes life without Christ in these terms. You were dead in your transgressions and sins following the ways of the world, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, objects of wrath, separate from Christ, outsiders to God's ways, foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope, without God in the world, far away, separated by the dividing wall of hostility, strangers or outsiders. Paul describes the difference that Jesus makes in these contrasting terms. You are raised up with Christ, seated with him, in the heavenly realms, God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do, brought near through the blood of Christ, reconciled to God through the cross, fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, 
a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. The contrast between the prior alienation from yourself and from God and the peace and reconciliation that Jesus brings could not be greater. It is Jesus who makes the difference. You are made alive with Christ. You are raised up with Christ. You are saved through faith in Christ. It is in Christ Jesus that you are brought near. It is through Jesus that you have access to the Father by one Spirit. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone of the new temple, the church. The only command that Paul gives here is to remember. So often we can forget that being a Christian is all about what Jesus has done for us and get caught up in what we are doing. This passage helps us to stop, remember, and give thanks to your amazing Saviour for all he has done for you. Lord, thank you for your great love for me. Thank you for the utter transformation you bring to my life. Old Testament from Isaiah 55 to 57. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fear. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Purpose and Meaning The Bible is one long invitation to come to God. It starts with God's call to Adam, full of love and anguish. Where are you? It ends with the invitation from the Spirit and the Bride who say, Come! Jesus often invited people, Come to me. Come to the wedding banquet. Come to me and drink. In this chapter, God once again issues an invitation to come. Hey there, all who are thirsty, come to the water. Are you penniless? Come anyway, buy and eat. Come, buy your drinks, buy wine and milk, buy without money. Everything's free. The invitation is urgent and universal. The New Testament sees it as Jesus' invitation to us. Here are four reasons why you should come to him. First, Jesus alone can satisfy the hunger in your heart. Without Jesus, we are thirsty. We labor for what does not satisfy. The opening verses echo the cries of those selling their wares in Babylon, the center of commerce in the ancient world. The message is this. Material things do not satisfy. Without God, we're always partly empty experiencing a lack of fulfillment and a feeling of dissatisfaction. The offer of Jesus is free. It is to you who have no money. The promise is that as you come to Jesus, your soul will delight in the richest affair. Your soul will live. Those who come to him are deeply satisfied. God does not offer you junk food, but a feast. His words are life-giving and life-nourishing. Second, Jesus' love and mercy is great. Repentance is necessary in order to enjoy God's presence fully. Turn away from sin. 
Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. I like the child's definition of repentance. Being sorry enough to stop. Repentance also involves turning to God. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. No matter how far you've fallen, God will forgive you. He is lavish with forgiveness. Third, Jesus is the life transformer. You will go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. The immediate application of this passage was the departure of the Jews from Babylon. Israel was to go out from Babylon and go back to Jerusalem in joy and peace. However, the prophecy will not reach complete fulfillment until the return of Jesus Christ. Then nature itself will be renewed and restored. You get a foretaste of this now, in this life. But the ultimate fulfillment of these verses will come when Jesus returns in the new heaven and new earth. The Bible is not only the story of the human race, but is the story of the whole of creation in which the human race plays a central and crucial role. Fourth, Jesus has a purpose for your life. God's blessings were never intended to be enjoyed selfishly. They were to overflow to others. You can't offer to others what you have not received yourself, but when you've enjoyed a blessing, pass it on. As Paul puts it in today's New Testament passage, you are God's masterpiece. He created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do the good works he planned for you long ago. Your life has a purpose. Your story is important. Your dreams count. Your voice matters. You were born to make an impact. Lord, thank you that you invite me to come to you, to drink the water of life. Thank you for the massive difference you make to my life, both now and into eternity. Pepper adds, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. One of the reasons we were created is to do good works. I wonder what God has prepared in advance for me to do today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you make a difference in my life. Thank you that you make the biggest difference. And no matter what I face, you will always be there alongside me for my good. Help me to understand that you give me permanent forgiveness that I can never do anything that you wouldn't forgive. But Lord, also, help me to know that I can rest in you every single day. And finally, God, I pray for purpose. I pray that you give my life meaning. And I ask that you would speak into my life and show me the plan, the good plan that you have for me. I pray these things in your mighty name. Amen.